Good morning. Hope all is well. Um, we're going to start our adult, adult Sunday school. And uh, before I start um, talking and not stopping, um, I'd like to open up in prayer and ask for the Lord's blessing on our study together. So if we could do that. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for this day. and We thank you for your church. We thank you for uh, all the work that the early church fathers did to put together uh, these creeds and definitions so that we may understand your nature uh, more and be perfectly aligned with, with your scripture and with your word. Father, we pray that um, you would open our ears, open our minds, and that the words out of my mouth would be correct and pleasing to you. In Jesus Christ's name and for his glory, amen. Okay, so um, true to form, uh, Vitanovitz decides to do the Athanasian Creed in, uh, in a continuation with the other studies which we did on the Nicene and the um, Constantinopolitan creeds. And, you know, I've, you know, what I did is I realize that I am in deep water here. I'm not a historian, I'm not an expert, but I, uh, you know, chewed off a lot more than I could swallow, let's put it that way. But there's a lot here, there's a lot to talk about. In fact, I think that when it comes to early church history, you know, obviously you can, you know, talk, you know have courses, you know, on this kind of stuff, which they do, you know, at, you know, seminaries and so forth and so on. Uh, just a couple of comments before I uh, start. Um, I'm not going to be going over a lot of scripture, uh, and it's going to be more historical, more you know, dealing with a, uh, what's called the um, Council of Chalcedon and the definition that came out of that, and then of course leading up to uh, the Athanasian Creed. The other thing too, and I will, uh, you know. Uh, poke Mr. Anderson here, and I got interested in this because I think we had a conversation, it was probably like about a, close to about a year ago, we said, you know, Rick, you gotta read the Athanasian Creed, and so I always had that in my mind, decided that, you know, hey, you know, just like to, you know, follow up with this after the other two creeds that came out of the first two ecumenical councils in the history of the Christian church. So the other thing too is, um, and I am going to uh, give you some scripture in the beginning and then we'll get rolling here, but uh, the book that I leaned heavily on, and I, I, in my study, as in the other two things, I did do a lot of searching on Wikipedia and it's kind of interesting you know, what you learn through going through all that. And it's pretty, pretty close to what you'll find in most uh, reformed writings. But um, it was helpful to me to give me, you know, a kind of more holistic background on what we're talking about here in, in terms of the, um, you know, the various councils, all the players involved and, and things of that nature. But the one uh, book that I leaned heavily on is a book uh, called Knowing the Creeds by Justin Holcomb. And it's in my, uh, in the sheet, it's in my bibliography. Um, it's, I th it's a short book, it's easy to read. Um, in fact, um, 
uh, the pastor uh, turned me on to it and he has it in his library. So I, I followed up with it. In fact, this fellow is uh, a reformed um, background, but he's a, a Episcopalian priest. And he has a style of writing that's very easy to read. And it's uh, very reformed in its, in its uh, outlook. And he's a little bit even-handed in his approach, so you get a pretty good idea of what's going on. And the thing that I liked about it is that um, he talks about uh, especially all the background political and sociological intrigue, if you will, that goes behind, you know, kind of these councils, okay? And what really makes me marvel, if you will, is despite all of that, despite, you know, how it is even like uh, in our Congress today, all the infighting and different opinions and things of this nature, how it came to this where we have creeds and definitions that's based on scripture that we believe is pretty much correct. So, um, you know, and this is the Holy Spirit working, right? So uh, the other thing that uh, reading through this makes me marvel is just thank God for the Apostle Paul. You know, when you think about it, just think of, you know, everything that's happening today, okay, since the writing of the Declaration of Independence, okay, we have 300 years and people are fighting over this kind of stuff. But just think, you know, in the early church, you know, we have, you know, hundreds of years, you know, after the death and resurrection of Jesus where we had all this. And last week we talked about Gnosticism, um, Dave did, and we have all this crazy stuff you know, that's being, you know, proposed and talked about different faith systems, you know, entering in. And it really took, um, you know, somebody, you know, to direct, you know, on what's, what the truth is. And then uh, I, I just like, I'm just, I look back and think about those kind of things, like when I'm doing all this reading and I'm just like amazed. But be that as it may, again, uh, Justin Holcomb, very good book. But before I continue on, um, I want to read a couple of passages uh, so that, you know, I do read from uh, Holy Scripture here. And just consider this, you know, John chapter 10, uh, verses uh, 29 through 30, he says here, and this is Jesus speaking, my father who has given them to me, he's talking about, you know, his elect, is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Okay, and then in, in chapter 16 of the Gospel of John, in um, uh, verses four through eight, uh, we have here, but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them. So he's speaking to the disciples in the upper room here. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrows filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you that it is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away, the helper, meaning the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Okay, important, at least to me. Okay, so um, then 
Uh, of course, in Philippians, we have in chapter two, and this is going to be familiar uh, verses to you, I believe. Uh, having mind uh, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So just a couple of, you know, scriptural references to, to underscore what we're about to talk about. And you'll see here, I'm not a very good um, speller. I'm not a good drawer. I'm not good at any of this stuff. But, you know, just to show here that, you know, in, uh, you know, this is a diagram showing what we're about to talk about insofar as uh, what is the nature of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to each other, and what is the nature of the Son's divinity and humanity. So when we, so when we start, uh, when we get into the Athanasian Creed, that is, that creed is going to be something that encompasses the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it's also going to encompass Jesus Christ's divinity and humanity, okay? Any questions so far? Any, anything that I missed? Great. Okay, so... <clears throat> um, as we talk, spoke about, let's see, about a month or so ago, maybe even a little bit longer than that, it was before Christmas, I guess, um, is, um, <clears throat> is the two councils. We talked about the first two creeds, the um, Apostles' Creed, and then we spoke about the Nicene Creed, or the Nicene and Constantinopolitan Creed, um, that uh, discussed to a, a certain extent, uh, uh, or as much as they th thought they were doing, is the relationship between the Father and the Son. And that was because, you know, at the time there was a, uh, you might call it a heresy, um, it, well, it is a heresy, but uh, at the time it was um, uh, uh, Arian, Arian heresy where, um, it was taught that Jesus was a created being, okay? So you have God the Father, Jesus was created. Well, um, obviously, you know, many people thought that that was untrue. There was a council in Nicaea uh, where they got all, it's called the ecumenical council. Well, mo mo most of the churches from the West and from the Eastern uh, areas of Christendom came together to discuss it and found that, yes, this Arianism is a heresy, and then they came out with the, uh, you know, with the, was the first uh, Nicene Creed. And you'll read on the bottom of page one here uh, where, you know, I put that forth so that you don't have to go flipping through anything. But, <clears throat> but um, we read here, 
uh, it goes like this. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten from the Father, only begotten, that is, from the substance of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, and was substance with the Father through him. All things were made, uh, excuse me, all things came into being, things in heaven and things on earth, who because of us men and because of our salvation came down and became incarnate and became man and suffered and rose again on the third day and ascended to heavens, etc., etc. And then it says, uh, which is important here, and in the Holy Spirit, but as for those who say there was when he was not, and before being, before being born he was not, and that he came into existence out of nothing, or who asserts that the Son of God is of a different hypostasis or substance, or created or is subject to alteration or change. So this, is, this was uh, picked out of um, Wikipedia, and this is basically uh, what came out of the Council of Nicaea directly. Well, we don't really say that. And when we talk, you know, when we say the Nicene Creed, we don't say everything that's in there, okay? What we say is what came out of the second council. It was called the first council of Constantinople, where, you know, there was still disunity in, in the church with regard to some of these things. For example, um, it wasn't like when you say something like um, begotten from the Father, only begotten, that is, from the substance of the Father, like the people who were proponents of, of uh, Jesus being begotten, that, that's clear to them, okay? But then you have, you know, as, you know, human beings, you have, well, you know, what about this or what about that? And then people have different uh, new, you might say, ideas about how that whole came to be. So, so then uh, in the first uh, council of Constantinople, uh, there was still disagreement. So uh, they had to, as you say, try and make things a little more clear and not only make things more clear with regard to the Christology of Jesus and his uh, relationship, you know, with God the Father, but also, um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say now, but, but also that um, to bring unity, you know, within the Christian church, okay? Because there was now becoming disunity with all these, you know, disagreements. So just to cue up, uh, you know, the, um, the uh, definition of Chalcedon and the um, Athanasian Creed, let me also read now the nice, it's what's called the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed, okay? And I'm being a little, little like, um, how could I say, critical here, but it's often named the Nicene Creed, but like I said before, what came out of the Council of Nicaea was a little more basic, if you will, compared to what's in the Nicene-Constantinopolitan Creed. And it goes like this. Uh, and in one Lord, uh, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and visible, 
very similar here. And one Lord, uh, Jesus Christ, the only begotten uh, Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds. God of God, or from God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things are made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. So you see they're inserting some more information in there to clarify uh, the incarnation now. And was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, and then so forth. We, he shall come to, again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. Now, here's another idea that came into play because we're like, well, okay, what's the ministry of the Holy Spirit? So there was arguments over that, okay? So here we go. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Well, okay, so now the Eastern and Western churches are at odds again because the Eastern churches did not quite believe or think that the Spirit proceeded from the Son. They felt that it proceeded only from the Father. And so we get into this now, all right? So this is what, after the year 381, you know, something like that. So who with the Father, and let me continue with the creed, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by or through the prophets, and I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, et cetera, et cetera. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for or toward the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, amen. Okay, so after that, we're talking about the year 381. So people, uh, churches are still, and some churches are still not fully on board, okay, with this. They're not fully on board. So now we move on to the councils of Ephesus and I don't know, uh, in, in my reading, you know, some people believe that one of the councils were quote unquote ecumenical and others were just, you know, different various, um, you might say localized meetings. But in the book by Holcomb, he uh, indicates that the council of uh, Ephesus in 431, which is early 400s, uh, was ecumenical again meaning that this comprised most of the churches in Christendom. And by the way, uh, you know, Christendom, you know, included, you know, churches, what we would consider areas like uh, Italy, Greece, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, churches that are in Turkey, okay, uh, current Turkey, and even in the Holy Land, Syria, all that area, and even Northern Africa. Okay, we don't often think about that, but uh, actually the church in uh, Alexandria was a very you know, powerful church. Okay, so we have the councils of Ephesus and um, uh, there was a clash 
at that time between the patriarch of Constantinople, uh, who was by the name of Nestorius, and there's a heresy that's called Nestorianism, and the patriarch of Alexandria, again, that's in northern Africa. So Nestorius emphasized the humanity of Christ where he even mentioned that, um, you know, uh, yeah, Jesus is both God and man, but you know, when he was suffering on the cross, it was really his manhood that was suffering, not his godhood, right? So we got into, you know, things like, like that. And so there was a, a clash over that where they've, uh, in that council, they said, well, Nestorius is a heretic, and so they put him out in exile, chased him away. So where Cyril, you know, they held tight to the fact that uh, there is, you know, two, two persons and one, one, you might say, person, two essences in one person. Uh, and uh, they both were, um, it's a mystery, but they both experienced the same things that, you know, through Jesus's life. So... Okay, then, uh, you know, the next thing that comes along is, uh, and, and I give you this because this is like, it's almost like a drama where, um, you know, people started fighting over what um, it's, and I can't pronounce this properly, but I'm going to say philoque, okay, which is uh, a Latin term for the fact that uh, Jesus always uh, was God the Father's Son. So, you know, the Son, uh, Jesus is obviously the Son of the Father, okay? Father and Son, okay? So that's kind of what it means. So that was the basis for saying in, in the Creed that the Holy Spirit proceeds from both the Father uh, and the Son. And so we move on uh, to, uh, you know, that was, council was in 431, and then we have the councils of Chalcedon, and this is uh, where, you know, uh, things um, kind of come to a head, and the, it results in the definition of Chalcedon. Okay. Uh, let me read this, and uh, you'll see the further delineation, you might say, of, you know, or you might say um, re-emphasis of the nature of, of the Trinity and of Christ especially. So, and I'm not going to uh, talk about the one from Wikipedia, but the only reason why I have uh, the definition uh, that's written from Wikipedia and the one from uh, a, a book by Van Dixhorn, uh, which is uh, Actually, it's an okay book, but um, he summarizes all the creeds and confessions in one book. And he really doesn't do a lot of explaining. He's, uh, he starts off with uh, somewhat of a summary of you know, what that particular creed is or not. But I took it from him because um, uh, he is, uh, let's see, he's a teacher at um, Westminster, actually. So, but anyway, it goes like this. Uh, following the saintly fathers, we are all with one voice, teach the confession of one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in divinity and perfect in humanity, the same truly God and truly man of a rational soul 
and a body, and I'm reading on page four in my handout, by the way, body consubstantial, meaning of the same substance, with the Father as regards to his divinity, and the same consubstantial with us as regards to his humanity. Like us in all respects except for sin, begotten before, before all ages from the Father as regards his divinity, and in the last days the same for us and for our salvation from Mary, the virgin God-bearer. Okay, so there was actually, I don't want to, I could get off on a tangent here. There was a fight in a church even that uh, people did not like the term mother of God. So in a lot of these writings, they make, they make very, um, they're being very careful on how to word, you know, that particular uh, that particular, um, you know, concept. So for us and for our, for our salvation from Mary, the virgin God-bearer, as regards to his humanity, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, acknowledged in two natures, which undergo no confusion, no change, no division, no separation. At, at no point, was the difference between the natures taken away through the union, but rather than, rather the property of both natures is preserved and comes together into a single person and a single subsistent being. So it was very important, you know, to the early church fathers that they absolutely nailed down what the nature between God, you know, Jesus's divinity and Jesus's humanity is. Because people were saying stuff like, and it, and it further, even after this, in 451, uh, we have uh, uh, a heresy called uh, monophysism, I want to say. I don't think I got that right. Here, let's see. Yeah, monophysism. Okay, where you know, people say, yeah, well, you know, we have Jesus's divinity and we have his humanity, but it kind of comes together and like kind of mixes together and then he, voila, we have, you know, one, one being. No, okay, no, that's not gonna work. We have Jesus's divinity, Jesus's humanity. It's a, we're just gonna say it's a mystery on how they, you know, communicate with each other, but that's just it, and he's in one body, okay? Now, I'm not gonna get it to maybe in a few minutes, but open it up, talk about why that is so important, okay? You know, is it just, you know, we just wanna fight with each other over this, or is there an importance to it? Yes, there is. Okay, so we move on. And here we have the Athanasian Creed. And just like the Apostolic Creed, uh, is, it's kind of, where did this come from? It didn't come directly out of a, um, uh, out of a council or something like that, but you know, it's pretty good. And so uh, even to the point where um, Luther and I wanna say Calvin, you know, have this and agree, you know, with this, with this creed. Okay. The, 
The creed is, um, it, it's called the Athanasian Creed, but Athanasius really didn't write it. In fact, in fact, uh, there, there's a lot to, you know, people talk about why he didn't write it. Well, number one, uh, Athanasius wrote in Greek and not in Latin. Well, this all, you know, came to be in Latin. And it showed up in the year, I'm going to say 500-ish, someplace around there. So that's Athanasius in, in, in the notes here. Athanasius lived, born, you know, sometime around the turn of the 200th century, uh, year 200, so about 296 to 298, and he died in the year of 373. So, uh, couldn't have been him, all right? So, showing up around the year 500, and Athanasius was long gone uh, and with the Lord um, by then. So, the other thing is... Um, uh, there's no record of it in any ecumenical or, or, or church council, so it couldn't have been that. But it was circulated among the Western Christians mainly and not the Eastern Orthodox because, you know, the Eastern Orthodox churches still did not assent to the fact that the Holy Spirit was proceeding from both the Father and the Son, so the Philoque Clause it's called. The other thing is that in, in many respects, uh, writings from uh, St. Augustine, Augustine of Hippo, who was um, uh, another, uh, he, you might say, um, well, he was a bishop out of, out of I want to say, um, uh, Alexandria again, I might have that wrong. But, um, you know, a lot of his writings about the Trinity are reflected you know, in this creed. So basically, whoever wrote it, um, you know, took, you know, the, you know, reformed ideas from Augustine and the reformed ideas from Athanasius and kind of put them all together and summed them up. And so uh, that, um, and uh, of course, Augustine lived from 354 to 430. So it couldn't have been Augustine that wrote it. Interestingly enough, um, uh, I was reading uh, something from none other than uh, uh, Dr. Sproul, and he suggests that it came to light uh, not only in the 500s uh, as well, but further suggests that it may have been written by a French saint, Vincent of Larins. Okay, now Larins is, um, there was, uh, uh, from what I read in church history, there was a monastery, there was a group of monks that lived uh, in an island off the coast of southern France. And so, uh, but um, it, interestingly enough, on the bottom of page four, this author, J.D. Kelly, and by the way, people think that this uh, writer, well, he's, he wrote a book on church history, creeds, and confessions that's used quite a bit in most reformed seminaries, but he disputes this. Uh, thinking that perhaps it was one of uh, Vincent's uh, students. But when you really look at it, it's just logical that uh, this, this creed came out of, you know, this, this you know, group of monks, okay? And so who exactly it was is not exactly known. Any questions uh, so far? Let me stop there Any before I... Move on. Okay, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but anyway.
Okay, so, um, <clears throat> so again, you know, the original uh, Nicene uh, Constantinopolitan Creed did not contain, you know, any teaching, you know, that the Holy Spirit proceeded from the Father and the Son. So now we have this creed that does, um, you know, contain, you know, all of, you know, what people felt were the orthodox, orthodox, um, you know, uh, you might say concepts or, or teachings, you know, from scripture. So um, the other thing that the Athanasian Creed, you know, before I read it, contained further clarification, it contains clarification on a relationship of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we read it, the first part is concerning the Trinity. It's very Trinitarian, okay, in its, its first approach. The second is that it talks about further clarification on the nature of uh, Jesus Christ's divinity and humanity. And then lastly, it contains some of the ideas that we'll read from the nice, that we get from the Nicene Creed, necessary beliefs for salvation. One of the other interesting things about a lot of these, you know, uh, early church fathers is they, they add what's, um, uh, what they term is not, you know, I really didn't know anything about this until I started studying it, but they, they uh, include what they call uh, ath uh, athenema, okay, athema, or anathema. An anathema, right, there you go, okay, which is like, it's not, people think it's like a curse, okay, well, it's not really a curse, it's just, it's just basically, these are all the things that you should not believe, Okay, these are the heretical teachings. You, you know, if, you're, if you believe this, then you're a heretic kind of thing. So it's not really a curse. It's just something that you uh, ought not to believe. So it's anathema, anathema, there you go. Yes, 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 yes. So, okay, so, but people think that like it's a curse, you know, they, so it's like one of those little things that, that I learned along the way here. Again, uh, Luther and Calvin, uh, you know, both uh, critical reformed uh, theologians support the Athanasian Creed, and it is mentioned in some of the confessions. So um, there you have it. Okay, why, why argue anymore? So um, the Athanasian Creed goes like this. So if everybody's ready, you know, before we have a, uh, about five or ten more minutes tops, let me read through this. Um, and then we'll open it up for any questions. Okay, whoever desires to be saved should above all hold to the Catholic faith. And I'm reading from my page five. Anyone who does not keep it whole and a broken will doubtless perish eternally. So there's your anathema. Now this is the Catholic faith, and Catholic meaning universal that we worship one God and Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit is still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal, what quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. The Father is uncreated, 
The Son is uncreated, he's begotten. The Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable, the Son is immeasurable, and the Holy Spirit is immeasurable. So now we're gonna see that they're going to pick apart the different attributes of God and bring, bring this all together. Okay, the Holy Spirit is immeasurable, the Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal. You know, it's almost like reading something, some legal proceeding, okay? They're getting really, really specific, so people do not have any wiggle room to say, oh, well, you know, they said this, like, it might be something else. So they're being very, very specific here. And yet there are not three eternal beings, but only one eternal being. So too, there are not three uncreated or immeasurable beings. There is but one created and immeasurable being. Similarly, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, the Holy Spirit is almighty. Yet, there are not three almighty beings, but there is one almighty being. Thus, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Yet, there are not three gods, but there is one God. Thus, the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, and the Holy Spirit is Lord. Yet there are not three lords, but there is one Lord, just as Christian truth compels us to confess each person individually as both God and Lord. So, Catholic religion forbids us to say that there are three gods or lords, another anathema. The Father was neither made nor created nor begotten from anyone. Okay, so here's where we get into the, the nature of the divinity and humanity of the Son. The Son was neither made nor created. He was begotten from the Father alone. The Holy Spirit was neither made nor created or begotten. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. Accordingly, there is one Father, not three fathers. There is one Son, not three sons. There is one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. Nothing in this Trinity is before or after. Nothing is greater or smaller. In their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with each other. So we're talking about their equality. They're all the same essence, all the same in power and glory. So in everything, as was said earlier, we must worship their trinity in their unity and their unity in their trinity. So that's why we have that symbol over there in the, on the right-hand side of the board. Anyone then who desires to be saved should think thus about the trinity, but it is necessary for eternal salvation that one also believe in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ faithfully. Now this is the true faith, that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and human equally. He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time, and he is human from the essence of his mother, born in time. Completely God, completely human, with a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as regards divinity, less than the Father as regards to humanity. Although he is God and human, yet Christ is not two, but one. 
He is one, however, not by his divinity being turned into flesh, so countering monophytism, but by God's taking humanity to himself, just as it says in the book of Philippians, right? He is one certainly not by the blending of his essence, but by the unity of his person. For just as one human is both rational soul and flesh, so too one Christ is both God and human. He suffered for our salvation. He descended to hell. He rose from the dead. He had ascended to heaven. He is seated, seated at the right Father's right hand. And from there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. At his coming, all people will rise bodily and give an accounting to their own deeds. Those who have done good will enter eternal life, and those who have done evil will enter eternal fire. This is the Catholic faith. One cannot be saved without believing it firmly and faithfully. Wow, that is a mouthful. Okay, imagine having to say this every, every Sunday, okay, which is in fact what at times what was going on. I mean, people say that. In fact, um, uh, this book by um, uh, Jonathan Gibson, it's a daily, um, you might say, um, worship, you know, self-worship you know, self thing that I have as a, actually Sean gave this to me, so it's a pretty, it's a pretty good book for daily worship, and it is, um, it's called Be Thou My Vision, a liturgy for daily worship. It's by Jonathan Gibson, and it's uh, there to guide you through your daily devotionals, but they include the Athanasian Creed, you know, uh, on certain days, so. You know, so when I'm doing, doing my daily uh, worship, my daily devotions, that morning goes a little bit longer, you know, obviously. So with that, all that said, any questions on anything that I covered? Uh, we'll start in the front. Yeah. Ken. Yeah, I have, I have just a few comments. Uh, one on the filioque cause and the other on the First Council of Ephesus. And I love the First Council of Ephesus because it is also termed the Robbers Council and is a perfect depiction of exactly what should not happen in the Christian church. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, it was a lynching of Nestorius. And even mm -hmm. though what we know of his Nestorianism is a heresy, uh, that's not necessarily what Nestorius believed, but it was a clash of two characters, Cyril from Alexandria and uh, Nestorius. And Cyril was a, a, a jerk. He yeah. was non-Christian. He was terrible. Yeah. And uh, took control of the council in a most unchristian fashion. And uh, it's, it, it is an embarrassment to the, and it's surprising how frequently that happens in the Christian church today. Sure. Uh, but the filioque clause that you've mentioned a few times really has another very interesting aspect to it in that uh, ultimately it was the straw that broke the camel's back in the division of Eastern and Western mm -hmm. Christianity. And that break happened 
in the 600s in that uh, the I'm not sure who is correct, whether the East was correct or the West. Mm -hmm. And the concern of both parties was the issue of subordinationism, mm -hmm. where, you know, is there a ranking in the Trinity? And clearly, neither the East nor the West believe that. And yet, using the uh, John 15:31, I believe it was, Christ in talking of the Holy Spirit, talks about uh, the Holy Spirit is proceeding from the Father, okay? Uh, there is no verse in scripture that mentions a procession also of the Holy Spirit from the Son. Uh, now, I'm not sure that's a critical issue, but my question is, uh, what is mean by, meant by procession. Is there a precise definition of that? And I look in puzzlement and say, I don't know what that means. But uh, whether it's a dual procession or not, who knows? Well, in all of my, well, first of all, getting, uh, let me start off with the, um, you know, comment about uh, you know, the, the squabble in, in the Council of Ephesus. Well, um, I would say that, um, and, and Holcomb will agree, that uh, I wouldn't say that Nestorius was lynched, but he, from what I read, he said a couple of things that he probably shouldn't have said that got him in some, some trouble, which, you know, actually... Um, you know, when you say things that you don't really believe, but you say them because of anger or something like that, now you, you got yourself into a pickle. And without describing exactly what that is, uh, according to Holcomb, you know, that's kind of what happened there. So, but uh, regardless of, of, you know, the intrigue, if you will, um, I think the, the right, you know, I think to me, uh, the, the right result occurred, okay, you know, in terms of, you know, theology. Um, as far as, you know, the proceeding, um, if I understand correctly, the, the teaching here is that the Father, it's the Son, and then it's the Holy Spirit. But with the full, uh, how do you pronounce it? Full, I pronounce it Falok, but I don't think that that's right. But the thinking was that since uh, the Son is and Father is of the same substance, the Holy Spirit is proceeding from, from both of them, okay? So as far as uh, from what I know, from what I've read, that is the current Reformed, you know, teaching, okay? So it's coming. Now, whether it's coming from the Father, then the Son, then, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is begotten, uh, you know, does it really matter, okay? Um, because, as I read earlier um, in uh, John, you know, 16, um, Jesus is, is um, he says right here. Um, let me read it again. Uh, be, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Okay? So, so Ken, you know, I, you know we, could, we could, like you say, you know, we could argue over this, but in terms of practical, you know, your faith, is it really important? I don't know. Andy. With the exception of the, the East-West schism and this filioque clause, how widely accepted is the Athanasian Creed that we're looking at? You know, I don't know the you know, I don't know the answer to that. I'm not like a theologian, right? Trained theologian, but uh, from what I have read, I could say that uh, for sure most of Reformed theology accepts the Athanasian Creed. Okay, the Catholic Church accepts the Athanasian Creed. So by virtue of that, I'm going to say, you know, the Church of England and um, the Episcopal Church will accept, you know, the Creed. Now, some of the other, uh, I think that, um, you know, when it gets to some of the other, um, let's say, non-Christian um, cults, like Mormonism and, you know, the watchtower, things like that, they don't accept. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the thing of it is, is because of the Athanasian Creed, it's so specific and so holistic that now it gives you a framework to say, okay, well, if I start thinking about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ this way or the Trinity this way, I know what my boundaries are. Okay, so um, uh, in fact, um, I think it was, um, uh, there was something that occurred just like within the last couple of centuries um, where, you know, the Athanasian Creed was uh, somewhat um, uh, useful, you know, in ferreting out, you know, some of these, you know, her heretical or like non-Christian thinking. So there was another, yeah, we we're out of time, so. But there was one question I could, Dave, I could talk to you later about it. Let's, uh, let's uh, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Athanasian Creed and what it means to us. We pray that um, we would reflect uh, on this teaching and would help us to know you more. We pray in Christ's name, amen.